I, uh, I have carried a calendar book probably for 25 years, and, and I was thinking about that uh, this week. I'm going to go into Bible study after first service, and actually with a group of 22 to 29-year-olds, we're talking on death today. We're in the book of Ecclesiastes. Some of you are a little ahead of us. We're a little further behind. But in the book of Ecclesiastes in the ninth chapter today, and we are going to talk on death, but about 15 years ago, I, I was challenged at some kind of leadership conference of some sort to, to begin to think about what kind of legacy you want to leave. And so I have a page in my calendar that is marked, and it says five things I want people to be able to say at my funeral. I don't know if you've thought about that, but if you haven't, you probably should, okay? What, what kind of legacy do you want to leave? And so these are the things I wrote. I want people to be able to say, I was a man of God. I knew Jesus personally. I read, studied, memorized his word, a man of prayer, sought holiness. I was a loving husband, loved his wife. She was my best friend, faithful to her, ministered to her, laughed with her and cried with her. A committed father, loved his boys, lived as an example before them. I, this was 15 years ago. I got to add some girls in there now too, so at least two of them, so... Uh, supported and encouraged his boys, had fun with them. A dedicated pastor who lived with integrity, who preached God's word with authority, life and energy, who loved people and served with compassion. And then number five, fun. All right? <laughs> I, I think that's important. All right? So to be able to, to, to walk through life with a sense of, of joy and laughter and, and have fun. So those are the things that uh, I'm talking to our folks today about. And I thought, you know, as we think about the church at Thessalonica and their love, their testimony as a church will go down as they were a church who loved. And Paul challenged them to love even more. So take your Bibles this morning and turn me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we're going to pick up in verse number 9 today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we're going to pick up in verse number 9. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, that you also you also show your love in this way. Aspire to lead a quiet life and to mind your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. And with that, let's pray. God, would you speak to us today and challenge us to be people who leave a legacy of love in the church in our community. May people know that we've been with Jesus, that we know Jesus, that we've experienced Jesus because of the love that we show. In your name, amen. As we come to the conclusion of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and step into 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we, we find that Paul has prayed specifically for two areas as he closes out 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Notice in verse number 12 in 1 Thessalonians 3, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another 
That's verse 12. And then 13, may he establish your hearts blameless in holiness. After he prays for them to be loving and holy, then he speaks to them in the first eight verses of chapter 4 about holiness, and then he speaks to them about love. Holiness and love are two characteristics that should set the church apart from the world. We live differently, we love differently. We have a different disposition in our life because Jesus has come into our life and has impacted us and continues to impact us through his love. And that love, like a funnel, passes through us to impact others. So Paul, as he writes to this church, it is a loving church, but he prays for them to love more and he encourages them to love more. So I want us to think in the terms of two challenges today as we look at Paul and his challenge to this church to love. Notice with me first in in verse number nine, he says, concerning brotherly love. I, I think there he's giving them the challenge to show brotherly love in the church. Show brotherly love in the church. Now, the word brotherly love is the word philos. If you were in elementary school and you remembered the, the name of the city of Philadelphia, it is the city, the Adolphos of philos, brotherly love. Now, if you've read the news this weekend, there was an assault in Philadelphia where no one came to a woman's aid, so we would have to question whether it really is the city of brotherly love. But at least that's what the founders hoped that it would be. It is the city of brotherly love. So there is this familial love, this family love that that uh, he is sharing. He says, concerning brotherly love, I don't even need to write to you about that because you are showing that well. But he doesn't just stop and say, okay, that checks the box and you're off the hook. Still in the context, he challenges them with that. He gives them praise for their love. The commendation of their love is this, that you really are showing brotherly love to each other. You really are having this this bond and connection that you really care for each other. Now, I have three older sisters, Uh, I was right in the middle, three younger brothers. My brother, two years younger than me, died of leukemia many years ago. But there are six of us siblings uh, uh, around. All of us live within an hour or so of, of each other. And, you know, we can go weeks and not really touch base with each other. But can I tell you, if life gets hard and it's challenging or you need someone, I can tell you who the five people I could call the quickest in the whole wide world are. Outside, my parents too. But I'm just saying, there's this brotherly and sisterly bond and connection that that when we catch up on a Labor Day or a Memorial Day or Fourth of July or Christmas or Thanksgiving, it's like the conversation never ended from the last time. You just pick right back up. You're right back there together as brothers and sisters. And again, sometimes we don't stay as close. And with three of us being in ministry, it's it's hard to, to see each other a lot of times. But there is this connection that is there. And he's commending this church and saying, you guys are doing good at this. You don't even have any need for me to write, but I'm still going to write because he goes on to, to show. Notice what he says. He says, concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write. You yourselves are taught by God to love. We see the inspiration of their love. 
The inspiration of their love is that they were taught by God to love. Now, I, I think there's, there's two pictures here. That we're taught by God through, through the, the general grace of God that goes out to everyone. Do you realize that the sun comes up on the evil and the good? And that it still rains on the just and the unjust? Matthew 5.45 shows this common grace, this common benevolence that the Lord shows to all. But he goes even further. We're taught by God to love, not just because God gives common grace and common blessing, but specifically in the person of Jesus, we have been taught to love. That John 3.16 would say, for God so loved the world that he gave. Romans 5.8 would say, but God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were st- still sinners, Christ died for us. That 1 John 4.10 would remind us here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sin. So we are taught to love by God through God's example of him sending Jesus. And can I tell you that really the only way we can come to a place of even loving God is because he first loved us. That's what 1 John 4.19 says. So because he loved us, we can love him. And because we've been taught to love by God, by seeing the sacrificial demonstration of love that he has shown us in the person of Jesus, then we can love. But God goes further than that. He doesn't just say, I'm going to teach you how to love, and I'm going to give you a good example of that. Instead, God gives us also the Holy Spirit so that we can love. Now, we understand in Romans 5, 5, it says that the love of God is poured out, shed abroad is what the old King James said. The love of God is poured out into our lives through the Holy Spirit whom God has given to us. So here's the deal. Whatever God commands us to do, God gives us the provision to do. Okay, understand that. Whatever God commands us to do, God gives us the provision to do. So when he tells us that we're to love him first and to love our neighbor as ourselves, God has given us the provision to love him and to love our neighbor through the Holy Spirit who has been, who has uh, poured, God has poured out his love through the Spirit working in our life. And now the fruit of the Spirit is, first one, is love. So that we find God not only gives us the Holy Spirit and gives us an education, but now that fruit of the Holy Spirit, that possession of the Holy Spirit in my life, and that exhibition of the Holy Spirit through my life is one that shows love. Okay? So, so the inspiration of our love comes to the point where we look to God and say, God has taught us and God has given us the Holy Spirit. But then we also think about how that love didn't just stop at the church there in Thessalonica. Notice with me as we read on, First John, or First Thessalonians chapter 4. He says that there's, there, you're taught by God to love one another. Now notice in verse number 10. And indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. There's, there's this picture here. The extent of their love goes beyond their local church to all brethren, including those brethren who were in all of the area of Macedonia. 
So the extent is, is that our love doesn't get checked out when we walk out the door. It's not that we just come into this place and love each other, but there is this camaraderie and love that we share for the body of Christ that goes beyond our church and even beyond our denomination. To those who know Jesus as Savior, there is a common uh, family that we experience God's the father and we are his children and all of those who are born from above are brothers and sisters. There's a picture there. He says, your love doesn't just land in your church. Your love spreads to all the other believers and brethren in Macedonia. Why do we pray for believers in Haiti today? Because there is a common love that we have in the body of Christ for those uh, who are part of our family, to those who have been saved by the Lord Jesus. This week, I was called by a pastor and uh, not too far from here and just asked some questions about some things that we're doing, so I was able to talk with him. Why do I spend time talking to other pastors? Well, because we love them. We want their churches to do well. We want more, we want more people to, to come into the kingdom. We want heaven to be crowded. This weekend also, our staff went through a a seminar, uh, just kind of us and one other church. And as we were going through that, I I knew another church was coming. I didn't know what church it was. If you're familiar with southeast Missouri around the Cape Girardeau area, it was the First Baptist Church of Delta, Missouri that was with us this week. And if you're familiar, Delta's kind of southwest of, of Cape. Interesting. You know the first place I ever preached? First Baptist Church of Delta, Missouri. First place. My brother-in-law was the student pastor there, and I preached to a group of about 14 or 15 students. Uh, We did a nighttime VBS. He did the music, and I preached. You know, there's this family. That that, that church has has a special place in my heart. There's a a special commonality that that we share together. But notice, Paul doesn't just say, man, you guys are doing good. But there's a challenge that Paul brings to them when it comes to their love as well. Notice with me down in verse number 10. He says, man, you're, you're loving those who are in all of Macedonia. But notice what he says in verse number uh, 10 at the bottom, the, the end of the verse. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. If you would put a math problem on the board that was something to do with trig or calculus, I would not have the mental capacity to answer that, all right? I took up to trig and math analysis in high school, and I took the easiest college math classes I could take because I knew I wasn't going to do math, all right? There, there are times when, when my mental... Uh, faculty, my mental uh, capacity is not able to answer something. If you put, uh, you know, a, a bench and you put 300 pounds up on, on a, a barbell and said, we want you to bench press this, I can tell you, without even having to think about this, okay, I do not have the physical capacity to do that. 
nor do I want to try, especially in a group of people, all right? So you can run out of, out of, out of the mental capacity when something is far beyond us. We can run out of physical capacity when something is too strong for us. But the truth of the matter is, is because God's spirit is in us, we should never, ever, ever run out of love. He's writing to believers who show love, and he encourages them to love more and more. Do you have a perfect love? We looked at this a couple of weeks ago, and we personalized it. And we put our name there as, as I was reading, sitting at this uh, on the stool. Buddy is patient. Buddy is kind. Does that always happen in my life? No. There's room for me to love more and more. And there's room for you to love more and more. And so the challenge is, is that we do it. That we draw in closer. And that we lean in, that we abide in his love so that we can share his love with others. Show brotherly love in the church. But he doesn't stop there because now Paul's going to get really personal with them outside the church. Notice what he says down in verse number 11. We're not only to show brotherly love in the church, but we're to show an exemplary love to all. We're to show an exemplary love. Love as an example of the Lord Jesus as we live out in our community. And notice what happens in verse number 11. That you also, let me add this to your, to your challenge to love more and more. That you also, as you're loving everyone around you, the believers, those outside, remember back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse number 12, he prays that they would love all. Now, as you're showing that love, it doesn't just stay in the family. It needs to move outside the family to the community, to the, to the nation, to the state, the nation, the world. Now, notice what he says in verse number 11. That you also aspire to lead a quiet life. Show an exemplary love. How do I do that? Well, he tells us how to do it. Live quietly. Quietly has nothing to do with whether you're talkative or an extrovert or not. Live quietly means that we are to live with a calm spirit. It's not that that we can't talk and we can't share. It's not, matter of fact, we should do those things. That's called communication. It's really important. That's the way that we uh, move forward in life, communicating, showing love, informing people. He's not saying that you should go around life and be a mute, okay? You're not to be Charlie Chaplin the rest of your life, all right? That's, that's not the picture. But the picture is, is that you, in, in the definition of, of this Greek word, is study to live a quiet life. Live a quiet life. Now, how do we do that? I think as he encompasses that word on living quietly, there's three things. We live with a quiet confidence in God. A quiet confidence. That means when things don't go my way, that means when, when uh, you've seen these folks, when, when something doesn't go their way, and, and man, now with uh, video, I mean, it's, it's all over. People who blow up, fly off the handle, jump into temper tantrums. I mean, act just crazy. He's saying you are a believer. 
Don't act like that. You live quietly with this reserved, quiet confidence in God. Trust him. Rest in him. He's in control. Romans 8, 28. Listen, it's not one that we can take and snip out of our Bible. Then we respond faithfully to God. We come to this place of of responsible faithfulness to God that we recognize as I live in this quiet confidence, I can be responsible before God to say, Lord, my hope is not built on Washington, D.C. My hope is not built on Jefferson City, Missouri. My confidence is in you and I am responsible before you and you promise That as I walk with you and follow you, you'll be the shepherd, I can be the sheep, and I can find peace in that. That we are to live quietly. And then Paul really gets to meddling. Live quietly. Mind your own business. Mind your own business with God. That, that, that's what he's picturing here. Is look, you've got enough of you to concern yourself with. Now, some believe that there were those in the church at Thessalonica, and we're going to look beginning next week about the coming of Jesus. They, they believe that some people in the church at Thessalonica, they thought Jesus was going to come and like he might come tomorrow. So I'm going to quit my job. And if I quit my job, then I can just focus on being ready for Jesus. And what was happening is they didn't work. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But they just had all of this time to go be a nosy busybody. And because they were being a nosy busybody and meddling in everybody else's business, Paul says, look, mind your own business. You know what you find about, about nosy busybodies? You know what you find? They don't have a quiet confidence in God. And they don't live responsibly in faithfulness to God. God. Often their life is churning, so they want to go find someone else's life who's churning so that they can talk about their churning life and not have to think about their own. He says, mind your own business. Can I tell you? Every argument in the world doesn't have to be your argument. Every challenge that someone else is walking through doesn't need your investigation, Columbo. All right? Okay? Take, take your hat off. Now, if they ask you to be involved, fine. But don't go digging around in other people's business. That's what he's saying. Every uh, Facebook post and every Twitter feed doesn't need, we don't need to, interject ourselves into that. There are sometimes we just need to mind our own business. And if we do interact and interject into any of those places, understand that it better be in love that we just talked about. Because it's not, if not, then you're going to give an account before God for the words that you share. And you might win the argument. But if you're not showing love, you are like a clanging cymbal. And every week on Facebook and every week on Twitter, I don't even know why I keep those things. 
I hear symbol after symbol and gong after gong. And I've got to the place where I've just thought, unfollow. Listen, there's a real challenge here for all of us that God calls us to live an exemplary life before the world. And we don't invite ourselves into things or interject ourselves into places at times that we do not need to go. Live quietly. But then, he not only has a word about their life, but he has a word about their work. Work diligently. Notice with me what he goes on to say. He says, aspire to lead a quiet life, mind your own business, and to work with your hands. Work with your hands. There's this picture here that that they are not to be busybodies, being nosy in everybody else's business. Get to work. Do something. As we think about our culture and how timely Again, we're just kind of cruising through First Thessalonians, and I'll be honest, I, I just kind of plan things out several months in advance, and, and we hit today. We, we look at our world today, and we're finding a lot of people don't want to work. I'm not talking about people who work for 40 years and then retired. I'm not talking about those. I'm not talking about those who are incapable of work because of some kind of, of physical or, or, or mental challenge in their life. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about able-bodied people who are able to work. And he tells them that you are to work. Matter of fact, if you look over into 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul takes it even further and says, if you don't work, then you shouldn't eat. So so the picture is, is that we are to work. Now listen, Adam, before the fall, was given a job. This is before sin. This is before the fall. He was given a job. He had the job of overseeing the garden which God had placed him in. And he had the job of naming all of the animals. Remember that in Genesis chapter 2? He had, he had a job. Then, even after the fall, it tells us in Genesis chapter 4 that Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain was a tiller of the ground. They worked. And throughout the Old Testament, we see example after example of those who worked. We don't have time to go into many, but just think about Joseph. Joseph, probably the favored son, he was doing what his father told him to do. His brothers took him, sold him into slavery, and so what did he do? He was a slave. He worked. Matter of fact, he worked so diligently and so well that he became the second person in Potiphar's house. Potiphar entrusted everything to him. Then Potiphar's wife lied about him. He went into prison. What happened in prison? He began to work and minister to the other people in the prison so that the jailer didn't take concern over anything. Instead, just let Joseph run the place. And then he interprets the Pharaoh's dream and he becomes the leader administrator over all of the grain that is going to be distributed in Egypt. He was a man who worked. We find Ruth. Let's go to the other extreme. We find Joseph ending in in great riches. But here we see Ruth, whose husband has died, whose father-in-law has has died, and and brother-in-law has died, and she's with her uh, mother-in-law. And what does she do? She goes out and she gleans in the field. Why? Because she wants to provide for her and her mother-in-law. That's the picture. The Bible tells us in the New Testament that Joseph was a carpenter. The Bible tells us in the New Testament that Paul was a 
tent maker. We find that work is not a, 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 a part of the curse, that it is part of God's plan for our life that we work. Do you remember the command? Six days you should work, and then you take a Sabbath day. The fourth command. Most of us work five, six days a week, but we should always try. Don't, don't get into that point of, of working, working uh, just for money. But we work diligently. Live quietly. Work diligently. And then walk purposefully. Notice what he says in verse number 12. He says that you are to walk properly. That word means to walk with integrity and honesty. But I think it goes beyond that. Walking in integrity and honesty as an example to those around you. And here's what the Lord promises. As you do that, I'm going to take care of you. That's what he says at the end of the verse. You walk, I'll meet your needs. You do what I tell you to. Philippians 4.19 is still true. God will supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. You have a challenge today to show love in the church and in the, in the family of God. And then you have a challenge today to love outside the church and to show that love to all. I'll do a funeral for someone outside our church this week. But it just seems like every, every few weeks when we cycle back around, Pastor Jerry does a funeral, I do a funeral, and we're talking through that. It always, always just reminds us. My day's coming. Your day's coming. It is appointed unto man once to die. And the legacy that you want to leave and the legacy that you leave by how you lived need to line up and be together. Your love matters. And Jesus said, by this, all will know that you're my disciples by the love that you have for one another. And with that, let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, the truth of your word, the power of your word. And Lord, speak to your people. Remind us how we live is going to impact those around us and leave a legacy to those who live beyond us. So may we be people who live in love. In Jesus' name. Amen.